Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. Every week I discuss a topic that um, listeners suggest or I just feel like talking about that's kind of sad. And then I try to laugh about it in hopes of, of hair, more hair growing out of my butthole. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I already have a hairy butthole. But, um, you know, uh, according to Koreans, if I laugh while crying more, I'll get even more hair. And I don't know why, but that's a good thing. So a few weeks ago, I changed the podcast because I used to have guests who would bring a sad story and then I would try to make them laugh about it. Um, And now I just do topics again, like I said, that listeners suggest. I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Harry Butthole because last week I said it was Harry Butthole Podcast. It's just Harry Butthole. And if you um, subscribe, you can suggest a topic. And I'm going to do one topic that was suggested today. But also, if you don't have the means to um, donate or you don't want to, you can also just leave a comment on the Instagram page for Harry Butthole Podcast at Instagram. It's definitely shadow banned. So you have to put in the full name to find it. Um, You know what? That was my bad choosing this name. But you know what? You you found it somehow and now you're listening. So it's not impossible. Um, Yeah. So if you don't want to donate, you can just leave a comment on the Instagram and I will get to the topics. I'm going to do two topics today because I feel like now that I'm doing these solo episodes, the episodes are a little shorter. So the two topics that I'm going to cover today are... um, the person that commented on Patreon and they said, I'd love to hear you talk about your experiences learning power dynamics through comedy and how you factor power dynamics into your own comedy, which I know sounds very niche and maybe not that interesting, but I actually have a lot of, a lot of fucking thoughts on this. And I think it transcends the comedy sphere because obviously most of the people listening to this are not stand-up comedians. Um, And so you might not think that's very interesting, but I've learned so much doing stand-up, specifically about power dynamics in social situations that I want to share with you because they're extremely useful and you don't have to go and do a million open mics like I did to learn them. And I think you can really, really... um, use these tips in real life. You know, last week's episode, I talked about sort of living this life where I was like ashamed of being myself and hiding in social situations. And I had this big like life shift when I was 33. And now I'm just very, I'm good with confrontation. I don't dwell on like, um, you know, like bad things that happen to me. Like if, if I'm ever in a situation where you know, my friend something, my friend said something that hurt my feelings, I will just discuss it. And I feel like I'm so much more emotionally mature. And I'm much more emotionally, uh, I'm stronger. And I swear to God, all of this came from doing stand up, specifically um, dealing with hecklers. So I'm going to discuss that. And then the second thing that I'm going to discuss 
is something that um, somebody suggested on Instagram. And they just asked me to sort of speak about divorce because, you know, I am divorced. I am a single mom and I am Asian. And that is not really a demographic that you see or hear a lot about for some reason, I feel like. So it really interests me to talk about it because, you know, my whole thing is subverting Asian stereotypes and sort of representing a type of Asian person that you might not be hearing the voices of. You know, not that I'm like the fucking representative of all divorced Asian women, but, um, you know, just something that you might be interested. And for the divorce topic, I'm going to talk about all these things that happened that I did not anticipate and really made me uncomfortable in terms of rethinking how sort of misogynistic society is. And also, I'm going to talk about something tied to that, the divorce and the ending of a long relationship that so many, so, so, so many of my friends and people I know are going through um, who are in long-term relationships and marriages, and especially around the time that those relationships are ending or, you know, in a, in a problem, in a problem patch, problem patch sounds so weird, but in, in like a, you know, a rough patch, um, which is limerence, which is a learn, which is a word that I just learned on TikTok. But limerence is if you, I just literally learned this word three months ago and I'm like using it every day. So if you haven't heard of it, don't feel bad. It's basically, basically it just means like infatuation, but you know, like that obsessive, like infatuation crush that you get, um, there's a word for it. It's limerence. And there's all these like, um, you know, like what, what's it called? Like there's all these like symptoms that will help you determine if it's limerence or if you're actually in love. But the word basically just means like an intense fatuation, a crush on somebody. And my whole theory is that this is something that happens to people. Um, this obsessive like crush when you're at the end of your relationship because I'll tell you my theory and then I'll discuss it later on after the comedy thing. My theory is that because it's so painful to sit there in the emotions and the grief and the pain of your very substantial and important relationship coming to an end. So your brain does this like self-soothing thing where it like starts obsessing about your, I don't know, tennis instructor or whatever, right? Okay, so I'm going to get into that. But first, let me discuss this thing about comedy. And once again, I know it seems niche, but it's going to be very interesting. So um, the comment that the person left, I'm going to read it again. I'd love to hear you talk about your experience learning power dynamics through comedy and how you factor power dynamics into your own comedy. Um, there's a bunch of things, you know, obviously, I'm assuming that this video maybe. I mean, this comment was left because I made a video a few weeks ago about, you know, like this comedian's like unspoken rule, which is never punch down. And in the video, I just said, you know, like, I think a lot of people assume comedians just sort of like pull jokes out of their ass. But obviously, these are like written, very well thought out 
jokes with um, premises that align with whoever is telling the jokes, like code of ethics and beliefs, right? Or I mean, for me, it is like that. But obviously, there are comedians that say jokes that maybe they don't actually believe in what they're saying, and they're just trying to make you laugh. But for me personally, I try to make sure that the jokes align with my core value system. And um, in in that core value system, the not punching down means that I have to be hyper aware of where I stand in society, in like the societal hierarchy. And so I'm kind of obsessed with that. Um, and looking at that and sort of examining it and questioning it and so obviously, you know, in my position as like a biracial Asian white woman, um, I feel comfortable making fun. I don't know if making fun is the right term for it, but joking about my community, you know, which is Korean and white and biracial people, obviously. And I feel comfortable doing that. And I know that in within that group, it's fair game because I am from that community and it's like I the people that I'm assuming are listening to my jokes are also in that community so I think it's like there is no um power dynamic that's abusive personally I believe because it's like I'm joking about being a Korean woman or a biracial woman with other people that are in the same boat. And so it's like, we're having like little inside jokes with each other. Obviously everyone can listen to them and that's where it gets a little troublesome because, um, you know, it's like weird if like people outside of my community hear my jokes and then they think they can say things like that. And I'm kind of like, this is just for the girls and the gays, you know? But, um, so the power dynamic in the actual written comedy, I think I try to make sure that it isn't, um, I know abusive's a strong word, but like it isn't unfair, right? Like I'm never going to make fun of, you know, I'm never going to make fun of um, these, obviously, you know, I'm not going to make fun of like disabled people or people that are poor or, or, you know, people that are struggling in life. Because first of all, or I, I know a lot of like, um, usually straight male comics will make trans jokes or something like that, like cis, you know, cis men. And I'm just like, first of all, you, that's like an uncomfortable power dynamic because you hold power over those people in society. And second of all, what, like, what, what the hell does like a cis straight man know about anything about a trans person's life? So it's like, not only is it not funny, but usually it doesn't really even make sense. Um, and obviously if you are a fan of comedy, you know that, um, like usually when somebody's talking about something that they're living, it's way funnier. So that's why why um in the like narrative portion and the writing portion, I'm like very hyper aware of the power dynamics. It's like very abstract. I know what I'm saying right now, but like as a whole in society where I land. But this is important. This is the interesting part. Now that I got that boring stuff out of the way, the interesting part about power dynamics while performing comedy and something that I've learned is that. I've learned this like um, performance mode where I can really fine tune control my emotions because it's very important um, when you're on stage, like to always keep like command of the room and keep your emotions um, in control. 
So what I mean by that is like, you know, if someone heckles me, if someone's like, fuck you, bitch, or something like that, I've learned throughout the years to like keep cool and like be able to quickly say stuff in that moment. And that is really fascinating because that's something that I use in uh, like my day to day life. And it's something that's helped me a lot with what I was talking about last week, where, you know, I'm at this place where I'm comfortable with who I am. I know my belief system and I'm comfortable with confrontation um, in my day to day life. Like if someone says, fuck you, I'm like ready to like, you know, like say something back. Like I have I have a comeback, you know, waiting. Um, and it reminds me a lot of when I used to uh, uh, train Muay Thai for six months. <laughs> I know I'm a pro. I'm just kidding. Um, so I used to like take Muay Thai classes for six months. And literally I was like, I'm going to become a fighter. Like I was like obsessed with it classic ADHD, you know, hobby lasted six months, got all the fucking gloves and the fucking hand wraps and the shorts, and then just never did it again after six months. But um, during the training, my um, trainer, she was very, very, she was very, very amazing. Her name is Naomi. I don't think she works at that place anymore, but I'll look into it if you're interested. And she said something so fascinating. And I think about this all the time when I think about what I was talking about with the heckling and like keeping my cool when someone yells at me. She like we would um, in training, we would spar, like actually spar. And the people in my class, we would actually hit each other. And she said, obviously, it was like a safe, controlled environment. She was there watching. Um, But she was like, this is such an important thing for women to learn in uh, martial arts but also self-defense which is learning how to or feeling getting punched right obviously not in the head like sometimes we would have like those helmets and get punched but like knowing what it feels like to be punched like in the stomach or whatever because usually if you're not used to it and somebody punches you like let's say in the horrible scenario that you're getting assaulted on the street at night if somebody hits you most of us have never been punched so our bodies just sort of like shut down in a lot of ways right like we're like in shock and we don't react quickly but she was like you know just learning what a punch actually feels like especially when you're not expecting it and um the only way to learn that is to get punched over and over again. And then your brain automatically develops like a way to keep cool in that moment. Like it understands like the adrenaline rush and it keeps like a clear head. And she was like, you have to learn how to get punched because then you have, your brain will overcome that like initial shock and you'll be able to control that. And so if you ever get punched in real life, when you're like walking to your apartment or something, you're able to keep your cool and fight back or defend yourself or something. And that is exactly how it feels um, that that's what it feels like I learned to do from doing stand up like, you know, when I'm on stage, there's a lot of adrenaline, but I have to control it and I have to like put on this air that I'm fucking cool and I'm just having fun and joking with, you You know, like with everyone in here um, and not have the appearance that I'm nervous and, you know, if someone does heckle, heckle you like from the audience and says like you're an idiot or whatever horrible things that they say, I have to 
teach myself I, ha- I had to teach myself how to keep cool and like have really quick responses because I still have to make everyone laugh and like and sort of take the power of the room back into my reins and like pull it back in and you know um unfortunately the only way to learn that you know if you do do comedy you know is like getting heckled a bunch which did happen and um and it, it helped me so much on the stage but what I didn't anticipate was that it helped me so much in real life like if some you know like if some fucking person screams at me you know on the street it's New York City it happens like every other day I'm like I'm able to like have my wits about me and say something to the point where it's like it almost feels like an unfair fight <laughs> now like some some because a lot of people obviously most people don't do stand up so a lot of times people get pissed off and say fuck you or something and then I'm like oh yeah what about this all oh, like that and I'll have like a comeback and then they'll be like oh 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 because like they didn't uh, anticipate that I was gonna be like quick on my little feetsies you know and then they're like a lot of times they'll say something obviously I'm not going around yelling at people for the most part and <laughs> they'll say something I'll have a response and then they'll be like what because uh, uh, like their their adrenaline is pumping and now they don't know what to say and so I've, I've noticed that happening a lot where I'm just like what, what do you want to say now? What do you want to say now, bro? You wanted to fight? I'm fighting. And then they'll just like walk away and ignore me or something, um, which feels very good. It feels good. And it does feel like a superpower. Um, it's just like this ability to control your emotions in this way. That's like, I feel like that sounds a little like manipulative, but it's not. It's just like keeping a level head, even when you have a lot of emotions, basically. Um, I don't know if that's, specifically I think that's like a good power dynamic thing I kind of feel like the person asking this was talking about the first portion of my answer where I was trying to like I'm always like interested in the power dynamics within groups of people like when I'm choosing topics to make jokes on I think that's what they meant so hopefully I I like touched on what they were asking me about but I guess if you like don't do comedy and you are, you know, like the thing about having a witty quick comeback to somebody that does that says something mean to you is the good thing about it is, let's say on the street, somebody will say fuck you. Or maybe you're in a like a work meeting and one of your coworkers says something fucked up and you, and you, like, you go home and you're in the shower like, I should have said this. I should have said that. Like that no longer happens to me because I'm like able to quickly um say something call it out and then leave it where it belongs which is something my therapist says and it's great advice like instead of dwelling taking that with you like somebody saying something mean to you and then dwelling on it you get to leave that with them and that gets to live with that person right and that's made a huge difference in my life um if you are struggling with something like that and you find yourself you know thinking about things and getting upset about you know something your coworker said and you're like up and just like obsessing over it at night uh, an easy way to sort of get into the habit of calling somebody out when they say something fucked up or hurtful to you is you just name it in that moment and that's that's like easy you don't need to be like you know like your mom is so ugly like you don't have to have like a joke comeback you can just be like um 
you can just say what they're doing in like a funny way. This is my advice. This is probably horrible advice. You're going to like stop getting invited to dinner parties like me. But you can just say, um, I was just telling somebody this. Like I will like if I'm at a dinner party and somebody's kind of rude or they say something like casually racist and, you know, it's everyone else is white and I'm like the only Asian person. I'll just be like, well, that's racist like that. And then I'll just like move on. And then they're they're like, what? And then it's kind of awkward. But you're like, I'm joking. Not really. I'm joking. You know, and then you get to say it to their face and just be like, have fun uh, thinking about the fact that I called you racist at this dinner party all night long, bro, because I'm not going to be thinking about it, you know, like let it live with them. Um, And then I was (laughs) I was telling my friend that I do this a lot like at dinner parties, if somebody does say something like casually racist or misogynistic or just fucking weird, I just make like a, oh my God, like that kind of face, like a, ooh. And then I like walk away and that, that's easy. And you can do that and, and then make them spiral about it. Cause you know, how many times have you been in a position where someone says something casually racist and then you're like, God damn it. I should have fucking said something. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You can just make a really good face and walk away. And that 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 will mess with them. Rightfully so. They deserve to feel bad because they did something bad, you know? Anyway, so those are my thoughts on the power dynamics about the comedy. Oh, good. We have time to talk about the other thing, the divorce thing, specifically liberance. Um, this is what I've noticed. It also happened to me. But I was very clear headed um, when it happened and I knew that it wasn't real. Um, Let me give you the specifics. Some specifics I shall hide because they're humiliating. And it involves my improv teacher. Yikes. Um, So, you know, around the time that I I got a divorce from my ex-husband I kind of knew, obviously, for a long time, I was unhappy. And throughout my marriage, I'm a very, like, this is a weird way to say it, but I'm like a pathologically loyal person. Like, I cannot, like, cheat. Like, it will, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm saying that. I, I don't want people to know that this about me makes me feel vulnerable. But, like, it makes me feel, like, horrible which I think most people should feel like that. I don't know how people cheat. Like, and I'm not talking about like open relationships and who knows what our status is, but like when you tell somebody that you're monogamous with them, like if when I tell somebody that, I like cannot fucking cheat. It just feels bad, which is good. You know, people should feel bad. It just feels like I'm promising somebody something and I'm going to uphold that promise, right? So throughout my marriage, I never cheated. Um, And uh, also, you know, my ex and I are like friends and we've talked about this a lot. And he was like, yeah, me neither. I think we're very similar in this way where we're like, it feels like too scary to even flirt with people that are flirting with you when you're married. Like, I just feel like, oh, this is like yucky feeling. So for like 10 years, I was not flirting or interacting in any like capacity with men because I was just like it made me feel yucky I mean obviously I had a bunch of male friends and like straight male friends and 
stuff like that. But there was no, nothing ever um, inappropriate going on. And when the marriage, like I felt like it was like not working for the two of us and we were discussing ending it. Um, I got like these intense, intense, like infatuation feelings for somebody. (laughs) And, um, and I was, I had the presence of mind to be like, this is not real. There's, this isn't real. Like this, something is off. I don't really know this person. I feel so fucking strong. I feel destabilized and this can't, I don't know about this. Um, and then I ended up going, well, and then after we finally had the final discussion that we were going to go get a divorce, um, I ended up going on like two dates with this person. And then I was like, I don't know about this is weird. It felt too like intense and I never talked to them and nothing ever happened. Also, this person was married and lied about it. That's a, that's a whole different story. Um, which obviously led to me stop talking to them. So nothing happened and it was such an intense feeling. And then I remember like the next week I was like infatuated with somebody else, like obsessed. And so then I was like, okay, okay, I think I see what's going on. And I was having these thoughts like, okay, this is a very hard time for me. And I'm like just distracting myself. Like I could feel like it wasn't normal. Um, Not normal is the wrong word. Like it just wasn't a healthy, authentic sort of, I, I like this person in an actual dating way. Right. Um, and I think what I want to say about divorce, um, I kind of got ahead of myself, but I'm going to tie it back in is I think a lot of people experience these very like extreme emotions when they're going through a breakup with somebody that they've been together for, for so long. And, you know, I think a lot of people sort of turn off the like sexual desire portion of their relationships because, you know, after a while you stop having sex with your part, your long-term partner. And then they're off for so long that they, when the marriage is sort of, or the relationship is falling apart, they like come back with like a vengeance, you know, like, like the levels are off the charts, bro. And then, and, um, those like feelings of having a crush get so intense because they're so like juicy and soothing compared to the shitty, sad feelings of getting a divorce. Right. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of my friends go through this during their divorce and then end up dating fucking uh, DJs and uh, drug dealers and who knows what else. Um, but, but I think it's, but, but what I'm very, very happy that happened to me and forgive me, I hate like giving advice, but this ended up working out very well for me. And I'm like shocked that I had the presence of mind to do this. I did not, you know, get into any relationship during my marriage or until, until we were like fucking divorced. Do you know what I mean? And that's where I see, I think the, the divorces and the, you know, split ups that I see that are very bad. That's where I see them sort of like somebody fuck up. Right. And it's like, somebody 
I'm just, this is just an example, not that this is always the case. The dad, the man, he's, you know, in his like late 40s and he, he meets a 22 year old, you know, like college student. He's a professor. I don't know, whatever. Like that's the classic story. And he's head over heels and he starts having a relationship with her. And then they get a divorce. And then it's messy. It's like his ex wife doesn't want to give it this to him and she wants this money and he can't have the house now and like because there's so much pain and obviously that's like so much betrayal and stuff like that but um the great thing about my divorce is that I I did have the presence of mind to know that this was like really fucked up and the person I had a crush on was so embarrassing so thank god (laughs) I was kind of like this is too this is too embarrassing I'm not gonna go forward with this um and so then it Nothing like that happened in the final stages of our relationship, which meant that our relationship as co-parents and friends remained intact. So I guess that's the one piece of advice I'm going to give to anybody. If you're feeling very hard, like intense emotions about somebody like a limerence crush person, just know that perhaps it might be your brain trying to this distract itself and you know if you are ending a relationship that's that long and that intense and maybe sometimes involves children you owe it to yourself to give yourself a little time off i mean you can fuck people nothing wrong with that you can fuck anyone but you you sh- I, I really recommend not falling deeply madly in love or so you think with the first fucking person that you started fucking when you weren't even divorced yet like that is messy and that's fucked up and all of my friends who are in my position that are in really horrendous uh divorces where they've lost so much fucking money and they're throwing so much fucking money away on legal fees which i spent zero money like my ex-husband and i we we didn't even like get a lawyer we got like a mediator that just we wrote a piece of paper and they signed it that was it like we we paid nothing because it was a clean break and that's that's you know that's what i suggest to you but having said that limerence is fucking strong like you feel like you're gonna fucking die without this person so who the fuck am i to say that because when i feel those like intense crush feelings no one can tell me shit so if you're going through that right now that's my advice even though if if i were you i would not listen to me either (laughs) let's be honest um, the other parts of divorce that I wanted to discuss really quickly. Oh, I have a bunch of time. I, I, I feel like the limerence thing was making me feel so uncomfortable that I just like power through really fast. But another really interesting thing about divorce, and I guess this has um, something to do with the specific, like my identity playing into it as like a woman and an Asian person. Um, I was shocked to find out that people really look at you very differently when you're a divorced woman. Um, And, you know, I live in New York City and it's, I live in a very liberal, I think they call it liberal bubble. And you would think that people were very, you know, feminist and open to to these ideas that women don't need no man. But um, no, a lot of people's like, view on me shifted I felt no longer welcome in certain situations and I felt a lot of discomfort from people 
um, because I think there is like this societal idea that there's something very dangerous about a single woman, you know, that's like heteronormatively attractive to a certain degree. And um, that, that took me by surprise. I didn't expect that. But it was a lot more present in society than I realized. I lost a lot of friends. Um, I'm, I don't know if I could call them friends, if they're going to leave me for that. So that was negative. But there was like a positive, a more positive response than I had anticipated in the fact that nobody really views single moms in this way that we've been fed all our lives, like damaged goods. No one's going to date you, stuff like that. Like there is such a big world of people that are single with children dating and there's so many people out there for women not that you like you have to be in another relationship after you get divorced and you know I've haven't been in a relationship in a very long time now and I'm very happy um but there's like no lack of people that would be interested in dating me again like you know obviously that's like has to do a lot with where I live you know it, it is like an area where I think quote unquote alternative lifestyles, which sounds so weird for saying that for divorced people, like, like it's 1950. Oh my God, she got a divorce, but like that people are more accepting of that. Um, and also I am like aware that, you know, there's like, it makes me uncomfortable, but like attractiveness plays into that. And you know, like my line of work is a little bit like different. It's not like I'm in a very different situation than a lot of single moms. But, um, you know, even all of my friends that are going through divorce, it, it's just like another like a social group that exists. And I just say that because I don't think it's the most important thing for a woman to be in a relationship. But I just say that because I think a lot of people let that part that fear of being alone for the rest of their lives hold them back from ending an unhappy relationship. So the only reason I'm saying that is if that's like a major fear of yours and that's stopping you from possibly, you know, exploring your life on your own as a single person, I, I really don't think you should be afraid of that. And I really do believe that it's a whole different world and you shouldn't fear that. It's just like, you know, if you're, if you're gonna, you just have to like, just, if, if you're not happy with something, you gotta, you gotta do something about it. You know, I guess that's my advice. My God, I think all my advice is, is it, is it horrible? Am, am I just like, I always joke that if anyone ever asked me relationship advice, I'm like, break up, divorce. It's great. Like I'm such a big <laughs> divorce like advocate, but Obviously, it's not the right answer for everybody. But, you know, if you really think that that's the right answer for you and you're just afraid of whatever life is going to look like after that, trust me, it's, it's going to be great. Unless you are, you know, the the guy from the earlier example, the divorced dad, <laughs> Brooklyn guy, that guy's life is sad because they're, they're just, I don't know what happens. The divorced men that live in Brooklyn and wear like little like tweed jackets and stuff. I don't know what's going on. They drink orange wine. I know I like always make fun of them. They're like, ooh, orange wine. 
they, you know, once their 19 year old girlfriends, you know, leave, they're, they're more depressed than ever. I don't know what's going on. They're, they're extremely unhappy, that group of people. Um, but, you know, this is just crude stereotypes at this point, but for women, we, we kind of come out on top. Let's, let's be honest. You're going to get a, you know, 27 year old bartender boyfriend. It's fine. And then you're going to be listen listening to fucking, I don't know, Skrillex or whatever. <laughs> and, and like, you know, I like this. This is great. I, what's this called? This is amazing. I'm just kidding. That did not happen to me. Um, anything else about divorce? Uh, Asian divorce. People will act weird to you. That's fine. Who cares? You'll get new friends. Um, sing, being single after divorce. It's fine. It's not that bad. It's sometimes you're alone, but you're like, thank God. Cause you know, now I can just eat ice cream and drink fucking wine. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm sounding like a Kathy comic, but I'm like, that fucking rolls. You know, you don't have to pick up anyone's socks except your kids, which is fine. Um, don't ever be afraid of what that looks like after. And you know what? The, oh, here, this is what I'll leave you with, with the divorce thing. Again, advice from my therapist. Uh, when I was going through the divorce and this limerence thing where I was like obsessed with this person, but I kind of knew it wasn't real. She said something. She said, are you getting a divorce because you're like in love with this person? Or did you just want a divorce? And this is like the catalyst. And she said, if you get a divorce and then you end up not dating this person and never see him again, would you be happy? And I said, yes. Like I, all this, all this was, was a step for me realizing what I really wanted. And now that I see what I want, I'm realizing that I don't actually want to date my fucking improv teacher. <laughs> don't tell anyone I told you, okay? Please don't tell anybody. Nobody tell anybody. Um, so embarrassing. Like, I was like, I don't want to date. I don't want to date that guy. I want to get a fucking divorce. And when I realized that, it was like, the crush was the limerence was over right and there was like somebody else the next week but um so i guess that's my that's the only advice i feel 100 percent comfortable giving because that's from my therapist if if you are feeling this intense limerence crush and you're like at the end of a relationship and you're like should i end this ask yourself would you be okay with a relationship ending and you do not end up with the person that you have a crush on Oh, also, oh, I, I just realized I didn't um, tell, share you the the symptoms of how to tell if it's limerence or love. I think it's pretty obvious to me now that it's happened to me like uh, a bunch of times. Um, but it's this intense, like, uh, like intense, like obsession, right? And it's usually somebody that you barely know. And it's somebody that like makes you feel like in like dizzy when you like see them. Um, also, I saw like a I saw like a psychologist like dis discussing this on TikTok. I was going to lie and say it was like a New York Times article. It was on TikTok. But he said uh, there's like all these other um, like warning signs that it's limerence and not like a healthy sort of interest in someone. One of them is like in like an intense level of jealousy for somebody that you don't know, right? Like you're like this person, um, 
that I have a crush on was at this party last night and I know this person was there like you're obsessing over that that's us that's um a symptom I'm trying to remember what else um and then you're just like having these like long like fantasies about them you know what you should probably just google it because like that would that's what I did and now I'm just reading you the wikipedia but you're probably looking at your phone right now Google limerence. It's spelled like the word lime and then rents. I don't know. Um, anyway, I hope that was interesting. And I hope that the person who asked about, you know, going through divorce and how that felt found this episode interesting. And also, obviously, the person that asked about comedy um, and the power dynamics. I hope that's what you meant. But that that's what's been on my mind because I I have been thinking about that a lot. Um, and once again, if you are interested in me describing a topic, I do have a few of them. I saw a great one. Somebody asked me to discuss friendships, friendship relationships. And I have like so many, so many juicy stories about that. And I think somebody asked me to discuss what it was like being diagnosed with ADHD as a fucking 35 year old. And so, I will get to that, which is which was interesting. I think in their comment, they specifically asked like how it felt to like retrace your life. And I just had so many fucking realizations of what was going on with me as a kid um, that like really shaped who I am as a person because the ADHD was not caught. And um, I will talk about that in a future episode. And that's also very interesting because you most of you have probably know this but ADHD is severely underdiagnosed in female presenting children because you know they sort of i guess they exhibit different types of symptoms or they get they fly under the radar um and i think you know like kind of what i was talking about last week was that if you're female presenting people expect you to obey in a way that a little bit more intense than male presenting children so that might be why but i'm gonna get to that in a future episode so thank you very much for listening again the patreon is harry butthole patreon.com slash harry butthole the instagram is harry butthole podcast and you will have to put that whole name in to find it because it's shadow band and my instagram is ym mayor or young me mayor on tiktok um and i will see you next week bye (laughs) 